the last time we was at, which I think was Brisbane, Corrupt Rules Conference back then, so two years ago in Brisbane? That's right, Or it'll yes. be three years ago now. Yeah. No, I no, two was... years ago because it was Adelaide last year, Brisbane the year before. Yeah, but now we're this year, so it's, yeah. Uh, anyway. So um, it was the third, well, we haven't had the third one yet, so it was two ago still yeah. until next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right, two full, two full years ago. Thanks to Cryer Malt, a grain of truth in every podcast. This is Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and sitting in the co-host chair this week is Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. G'day, Prof. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I guess the expurgated version of uh, Good Brews Week this week because uh, you and I are both preparing uh, for BrewCon 2018. Big week next week, isn't it? Yes. So uh... We could say the inaugural because it is the first time it's been called BrewCon, um, which I think is great. I think it, it, it gives it a great um, uh, kind of branding. And a nice kind of image. Um, but it is, in fact, oh, Jesus, 6th or 7th. Those listeners uh, who were who were there back at the Lithuanian Club in North Melbourne. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> from humble, you know, from little things, big, big things, things grow. grow. Now, Prof, I was thinking about this because it's just been so busy. It feels like we've only just touched base at Good Beer Week um, and suddenly the tribes are descending on Sydney again. Good Beer Week was a month ago now. I know, I know. Um, and it's I mean, a distant memory particularly for those who partook um, enthusiastically. But you've also had Gab Sydney since then, and the weekend after next is Gab's Auckland, and a lot of guys are making the way there. And, you know, I've been speaking to a couple of brewers um, just about how viable it is that, you know, you've got a essentially a 10-day week for Good Beer Week, and then, you know, any anyone that's judging um, this weekend for the, for the Indies, you know, you're flying into Sydney, what, Friday, tomorrow? Tomorrow morning, yep. Um, so then you, there's judging. So it's another, you know, six, seven-day commitment if, if you stay for the indie presentations next uh, Thursday night. Um, and I'm just starting to wonder how viable it, um, all of these beer weeks are. And uh, I, I think you're doing a, a article on, on the, the, the site where we have a series, and we've talked about this before, but a series of the Brewer Stigs. Um, you know, just sort of giving their honest, uh, you know, view about whether something like that is really sustainable, or whether we are going to start seeing, uh, what is it, Bruce Vegas becoming the the, the, the Queensland Brewers Week, and uh, the AI you know, um, Good Beer Week becoming the Victorian Brewers Week, and seeing less um, national focus to, to some of these events, um, just because the, the demands are so great. Well, mate, you also need to factor into that that um, three or four days before the AIBA judging commenced, um, the many of the judges were just returning from the the World Beer Cup judging, so they'd had a week and a half or two weeks in uh, in the states as well in Nashville, Tennessee this year. Of so, course, yeah. So, so it does that 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 block. Look, I think it's um, and speaking to Richard Watkins, who I'm always up for a beer with because he just always comes out with the, just these little gems and little nuggets that you kind of think, yeah, actually, why haven't we sort of thought of that before? Um, so, for example, his his suggestion was, you know, why not have the um, the AIBA judging? Why is there that kind of uh, just on you know a week? In between the the judging and the and the awards, you know, could you could you actually do the judging the Tuesday, uh, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday of Good Beer Week rather than in the week leading up to? 
Um, because like he says, they, they can they can manage to get all the trophies engraved in time for the World Beer Cup. They do it the, the same thing. Um, because from a business owner's point of view, which at the end of the day, most brewers are, it then means you've got one chunk rather than having to extend over over two two business weeks, if you like. Does that then cost the brewers the chance to participate in uh, Good Beer Week activities, though? Well, it certainly would with some. Um, but I guess to, yeah, look, and that's the thing about Good Beer Week. To, is it important that the brewer is there or that the the titular head or the spiritual leader of the of the brewery is the one attending. Um, a lot of the brewers now too um, are bringing some of their senior, uh, but you know, oh, you know, not not the head brewer, but uh, you know, maybe a couple of junior brewers um, who are progressing along um, as associate judges. Uh, so, mm, yeah, it, it's interesting. We we do we it, it, it's it's a very Interesting point because, and it is something that, as an industry, we need to look at, you know, the burnout factor and that sort of thing. Or do we just say, you know, what? It's, it's kind of like, you know, finals. You, you you kind of lead up to it and you train for it, but at the end of the day, you know, the AIBAs, the Good Beer Week, um, into Gabs is kind of like our, you know, that's our final series, and we just need to uh, be prepared for it. But does that then take away from the Indies, for example, or and and uh, the and Brewcon? If uh, you know, a month later, everyone's got to back up for another five or six day commitment i guess when there's it's not doing the same thing again um and there are certainly far more brewers who enter their beers in the indies that don't enter into the irbas um for for various different reasons uh and there are obviously brewers that are excluded from the indies um as well so it'll be look time will tell time will tell but uh, you know it's just interesting because so yeah just getting a range of opinions and it's interesting brewers send your send your opinions in let us know and, and uh, we, we can also, you know, have the uh, Stig segment where we, we don't have to read, you know, as, I, as, as we frequently say, our best emails always start with, don't quote me on this. Yeah, off the record, we, we do respect, you know, the cone of silence. Well, we, we do, but also, you know, one of the things, as a, as a journalist, you know, that people are much more candid when, you know, they sort of say, oh, the, 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 this is in club, isn't it? You know, and they're, they're much more candid. And when the discussion that takes place... Um, on the record is much less punchy because, you know, like, for example, if you've got a, you know, a supplier to the industry who has a view um, that people in the industry, that certain elements of the industry may not want to hear, they're not going to say that because it can harm their business. But yet it's still a very, very valid point that they're often making and something that needs to be said. Um, And if it can't be said, uh, you know, openly... For, for those reasons, then that's one of the things that we, we can do to just get that discussion going. Yeah. Or at least raise those issues. All right. Making news this week, Matt, because we must get into the news. Uh, Brute IPA is the new NEPA, but does it break the rules? Uh, bottles are getting canned as cans replace bottles. Gage Rhodes gets the nod from the shiny asses at the Stock Exchange and BrewCon is go. Come and see us at the Brews News booth. Uh, Matt, Brute IPA. Oh, mate, can, can I just say, I don't think there's going to be any crickets running in that. That was a, that was a very tight, very uh, sharp uh, little news summary there, Prof. Yeah, thanks for that, uh, Joe. I'm sure I'm sure our listeners appreciate it. <laughs> it's, 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 nice that it's not me take, getting a... You know, <laughs> Lambasted? Some, yeah, for a change. No, no, I took it. It, it was very good. It was, it was a beautiful piece of editing. For those who haven't, <laughs> uh, go, go back and listen to my, uh, my making news this week, the intro last week, and see what Joe did for me rather than to me. 
Absolutely. And, and I should actually, just a quick plug for Joe. Um, you know, we, we, I, I know Joe from working in radio. And uh, so when we needed a producer, I got her on board. And since then, she's uh, got a couple of other podcasts. So if anyone's thinking of getting a podcast started and you want a producer, uh, get in touch and we'll put you in touch with Joe and you can have some quality edits like that yourselves. Not all of you, though, because, you know, we don't want to have so much work that she, you know, our suffers. It won't. Because God, God knows between the two co-presenters we, we try to sabotage it as much as we can uh, and joe actually says it now matt brute ipa it's the new nipa but does it break the rules discuss some yeah. um, traditional the traditional part of uh, of the independent brewers creed okay so for those who aren't across the brute ipa it's apparently the um judging by the amount of social media and amount of coverage it's getting in online um, magazines in the US. It is the new New England IPA. It's, uh, it's the, hot, the, the hot, vibey beer of summer over there. So expect to see a lot of them here, including Wolf of the Willows has just uh, launched one, I believe in conjunction with Ale of a Time podcast. Yeah, and with some really cool illustrative um, artwork on the cans. So Very well much. done to Scotty and Renee. It, it looks really good. It, it does, and uh, apparently a, a can is w- winging its way to me now, so I can't talk too much about how it tastes. But the thing that grabs me about um, the, the, the beer is the description. The Brut IPA borrows its name from the wine world. In Champagne, Brut means very dry. So too with the Brut IPA. The trend has only been in existence for about a year or so. Um, it's bone dry. It's highly effervescent. It's as close to Champagne as IPA can get. Now, that dryness comes from um, breweries using... Uh, I believe champagne yeast and enzyme um, in the form of amylase to break down the, the last sugars and give it that really, really dry-bodied beer, um, you know, all of which sounds very cool in terms of a functional element. But the thing that I always have a contrarian view to is when you see a rush to a beer like this without thinking what it actually represents. And you know, if you speak to anyone who's deeply embedded in the beer bubble about something like low-carb beers, um, you know, they will shit-can them. And in fact, the US Brewers Association definition of craft beer you know, had elements of small, independent, traditional. And the traditional was specifically looking at the techniques that big brewers used to make their beers. And you know, one of those was adjunct sugars, and the other one was brewing aids such as enzymes to get highly dry beers. Um, and I just find it interesting that suddenly, uh, you know, the, the, the most exciting beer is a beer that is using enzymes not to enhance flavour, but to actually enhance dryness, which almost makes it the low-carb, I haven't seen them advertised as low-carb, but they are almost low-carb IPAs. They will, as a result of the actual physical practice, they will be lower in carbs. But obviously, we don't need, as a community, we don't need to highlight the the low carb tag because we all know that beer by its very nature is low in carbs to begin with so absolutely although that said Bacchus Brewing um brewed what I what I believe was a um brute IPA but they they called it a low carb IPA so they actually made that oh, okay. there, there was a bit of irony around that um yeah which yep. again you know I, I I think when I first and I love started, the fact that, that Bacchus there's always that little bit of the, the the tongue is 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 just leaning towards the cheek if not completely in the cheek whenever you see these furious social media discussions about that beer is crap or, you know, and then you start digging why. Oh, you know, because they use adjuncts or whatever. Um, when the, the reality is, well, I don't like what it, you know, I don't like that beer. I don't like the, you know, that it's not flavour forward. Um, but then they hang these things like the use of enzymes to craft a definition that makes it not craft. 
Well, well technically, Matt, we uh, we now use um, you know um, mechanically rotating arms to you know sparge or to mix the mash and that sort of thing. We don't we don't use you know a house paddle or a you know a wooden stick in the way that we used to. We don't fire up. Well, apart from the stone and wood stone beer, um, but we you know we don't fire up a wooden fire to to heat the kettle anymore. So, in many ways, yes, that you know we've embraced the technology. Is it more the fact that this is a I guess a a, a trick similar more similar to what the big guys are doing is what's putting noses out of joint. The thing to me is that the big brewers, you know, like you, you can talk a lot about their dominance of the industry and the distorting effect that that dominance has. And how just by being so successful, they can end up limiting consumer choice because they would rather sell fewer beers to more people. That is just, it's good business to do that. And craft beer has risen because it plays in the margins, um, which is also another good business strategy. But in, in delivering low carb beers, the big brewers have only been giving people what they want, and that's what makes them successful. And you know, you you, you look at um, the the rise of Great Northern and Iron Jack, which if you do use them in a blind tasting, they aren't vastly different between Tui's New and Forex Gold. Um, but people genuinely believe that they're getting you know it's it's somewhere between a Han Super Dry and a Forex Gold, but people genuinely believe there is this new beer there, and all they're doing is giving people what they want. Um, people wanted an updated view to the old Forex. Um, and, and that's what they did with low-carb beers. Now, low-carb beers were always very damaging because what they represented in terms of telling people that the rest of the beer world is going to make you fat if you don't drink these. But the reason people hated on them was because they were industrial beers. And that's still a discussion that we hear uh, regularly um, is you know industrial beers or mega swill. Um, but... This idea of industrial takes into, you know, scale, which there there are a lot of big craft breweries these days, um, but also the techniques they use. And when craft brewers start using, um, you know, enzymes, then how does that make it drastically different from what goes before? It's just a way of um, making a certain style of beer fashionable. Um, and it, it, it's, it's a functional outcome to a beer or a marketing outcome to a beer as opposed to a you know, a, a, an expression of the brewer's craft. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing, but it's just an observation that when you shit can one beer that's using these things, remember that, you know, you can also end up trashing beers that you love um, for the same reason. Yeah, and it might be worth sending a bit of a shout-out to Adrian McNulty or um, or the other boys out at uh, at Moondog, if they could get in touch with us. Um, do you remember their, their Bad Boy Bubbly, which was, which was kind of like a, you know, if beer was champagne, um, which was a magnificent beer. I just I wonder, you know, whether they did something different or whether they sort of did the same thing back then. And that was three, four years ago, I think, the, the first of that came out. Yeah, it's funny. The, the reason it really caught my eye is that even um, the, the Wolf of the Willows one, they talked about using a special enzyme in, in the brewing process. Now, you know, suddenly that enzyme that makes low-carb beers is special when it goes into a craft beer um, to deliver a functional benefit um you know when i thought the whole idea of craft was you know it was the brewer's skill and art and technique not the food science involved yeah the food, food science probably versus industrial science I industrial think probably, science yeah. has probably been the, the the dividing line but how much longer till we see craft brewers brewing in higher gravity you know and uh you know and, and those sorts of things because you know that's that's another one of the techniques that 
people love to point fingers at. Or, or, or do we just kind of, you know, does the conversation just kind of not get diluted, but do we we kind of just begin accepting things that um, that perhaps we wouldn't? And at the end of the day, some people are going to, uh, it, it, you, you buy with your, you know, with your, with your hard-earned, um, heart versus head, all those sorts of things. The market will determine, I guess. You know, some people will say, yeah, I'm not going to support that sort of beer because of that, my ideology. Um, and others will. In a garden, what a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Speaking of technology, bottles are getting canned, and cans are taking over. It was only five years ago or so that we, oh, no, you know, cans are associated with, with again, with Megaswill um, and not with not with craft, but um, things are changing. Yeah, well, there's there's no uh, surprise there. You just have to go to the bottle shop shelves and uh, the, the number of uh, beers that are in cans, but um, it is does seem to be having an effect with uh, an Ohio-based glass company saying that it's closing its, in, in the U.S., Closing its uh, Georgia bottle factory, and uh, part of the reason is that people are drinking less beer, and even though they're drinking less beer, they're buying more of it in cans, which I found quite interesting. That we are starting to see the uh, flow-on effect, um, uh, you know, w- w- with business. Um, you know, I-, I caught up with um, Justin Fox yesterday and had a bit of a chat about this, and you know, he- he's the man that sort of went the three hundred and sixty uh, pull can, yeah, you know, the-, the the whole yep, lift off, yep. the rip lid. Can and uh, he's a big advocate for cans for a whole range of reasons. And uh, you know, I, I still can't come back to the fact that they are fantastic for a whole uh, range of reasons. You know, camping, convenience, weight. Um, you know, if you can keep the oxygen out at the start, they're a yep. better receptacle. But mate, I, I, I there's a whole lot of beers that I like to use at the corporate tastings I do, and there is just something really underwhelming about pouring a beer from a can into a glass at a table. But the last the last corporate one, the corporate gig I did, one of the provisors was, but can they all be in bottles, please? They didn't want cans presented at all. Yeah, it, it's it's such a bad... Once you get past the novelty of it, um, if you are pouring it, and I've got some really nice uh, glasses that I use specially for my corporate tastings, and I encourage everyone to drink from glassware at, at the tastings, but just the glugging of beer out of a can, and even, you know, Bolter Pilsner is one that I love uh, sharing at corporate events and uh, even the XPA. There too that I use a lot, and there's just something that it changes the experience in a really... In a visceral way. Yeah. Experiential, sensory. It, it is an experience. And we drink, as I say, we've got a sense of taste, but we have a perception of flavour. And a perception of flavour brings in all of our perceptions, including, you know, what we see and uh, those sorts of things. So, yeah, so I'd, I, I, I'm in two minds about it. Oh, look, I'm sure there'll be some some brewers that will, and I'll, I'll use Hawkers as an example, because I know they're, they're pale ale um, and Pilsner, uh, IPA, Double IPA are all still in bottles, but then XPA lager, like so, they have a range that they they have in cans. Whether whether or not that that changes, um, but again, using Hawkers as the example, perhaps um, it will we'll see a, a shift 
uh, perhaps in the value of um, of glass bottles because the hawkers, in the end, were able to get bottles cheaper imported from Italy than they could from around the corner um, in in Williamstown from OI Glass. Wow, so that's that's just crazy. So maybe look, I don't know how you can make bottles cheaper. Um, I know there's technology working on making them stronger but thinner, so that they're, I guess, more in line with the with the weight of cans, um, and and just to help in that that sort of you know uh, weight versus freight um, cost yes. analysis sort of thing. Um, but but do, do the big glass manufacturers now need to say, okay, we need to work out a way to discount um, to to make you know to make glass a, a, a viable option? Because why why would you if cans become cheaper, and certainly the printing of cans has become a, a lot cheaper. Um, obviously, for your, your smaller runs and that sort of thing, uh, you know, people using stickers. And I've seen some really interesting ways of, of printing a base can, but then having a, a sticker. Hobart Brewing Company um, have like a, a really nice looking can. And then there's just a like a, a kind of like a, a bottom tag and a neck tag kind of thing to, to show which, which beer it is, which in the fridge makes a really smooth, um, sort of branded range. And it's not until you actually get the can out that you realize, oh, okay, the bottom the coloured strip across the bottom is just a, a sticker that's added on post-canning. It would be interesting to see what happens uh, in the market. Yeah. Speaking of the market, Matt, Gage Roads, those shiny asses at the Stock Exchange, do they think that the Gage Roads model is pretty good? Well, it, it's interesting. I got a uh, media release uh, sent to me by uh, a stockbroker, you know, just uh, letting us know that they had put an undersell or a speculative buy um offer on gauge and that was even before matt so they've since updated it saying yes i think that's a good strategic fit but our listeners will remember when 10 percent of brew was listed 18 months two years ago um for 10 million dollars valuing it at over 100 million dollars yeah that's br double o the br double o yes you know yeah, beer and rue think, think of beer and rue and uh, yeah, and, and maybe the odd uh, <laughs> you know southern cross tattoo um <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but so yes, brew which uh, was I think selling maybe six hundred thousand liters of beer a year was valued at over hundred million dollars. So Gage Roads, which makes about eleven million liters in a variety of contract and own own brand, um, is valued at around about seventy million dollars, um, which is quite interesting because uh, yeah, it, and I know that. A lot of people monitor Gage Road's market value because it does provide a bit of a barometer for what breweries are really worth because that's the, um, you know, it's a brewery that has to publish all of its figures and it, it's quite interesting to read some of the uh, the ASX listings for Gage. Um, and, yeah, no, it, it, it's quite interesting just to, to see the way that it is suddenly starting to, to come onto stock um, advisors' radars um, when it's just... Like I think it's trading about nine and a half cents at the moment. Yeah, somewhere around there. So uh, yeah, and, and and one of the things you know the, the question is is it undervalued um, because it's not very sexy or does it get a benefit of a bit of an updraft because people who are interested in seeing the growth of craft beer um, this is a way that you know if you've got you know two thousand dollars you can buy twenty five thousand shares in a brewery as a bit of a speculative buy. Um, so is that a potential sort of, uh, you know, boost to the share price. Yeah, no, I, I just thought it was quite interesting to see that uh, it, it's the market valuing a beer because we've seen breweries like Mountain Goat that was making about three or four million litres, I think, prof. Yeah, that yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, and the figure that they bandy around is around about uh, 45 million for, for, the, for the purchase. 
Um, so Gage is, you know, brewing multiples of that, um, and uh, yet is only, uh, you know, about twenty five percent more expensive. So yeah, and and then one little brewery recently has uh, done a, a stock market, well, not a stock market listing. They've uh, put a prospectus out to encourage, uh, you know, another capital raising and selling off about sixteen percent of the brewery um, for. Uh, to, to raise two and a half million dollars to build a production brewery. Um, so that values them at my calculations at about 15 million dollars and they're well short of the million litre mark. Um, so uh, yeah, so it's just interesting to see in the excitement of the craft beer industry how different breweries are getting different valuations. Yeah. Uh, these and many other issues can be discussed next week at BrewCon, Matt, at the um, the Brews News booth. We've, we've got a, we've got a presence in the uh, Trade Expo. We, we do. We're uh, we're expanding. <laughs> no, we, um, What's going well, on there? Well, BrewCon, um, obviously next week, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, the uh, Independent Brewers Association uh, Brewery Conference um, being keynoted by Kim Jordan, uh, of course, from uh, New Belgium. Hopefully everyone has got their tickets, all of our uh, industry listeners and those with a uh, a semi-professional interest uh, are all getting along. Um, but yeah, Brews News will also be there. We have a, taken a stand next to Bintani. We'll be running a recording studio. Uh, we've got our recording studio. So Radio Brews News will be capturing all of the sights and sounds of uh, Brucon. And uh, if you happen to be passing by, stop by and see us. We'll flip on the recorder and uh, have a bit of a chat. Yeah, so anyone's welcome. As long as you've got a, a you know a decent opinion and you can keep your opinions to twenty five rude words or less. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, Jo's of course going on holidays for a week, so when she gets back, she's going to have plenty of editing to do <laughs> as we uh, put some stitch some of these together. But yeah, no, there's going to be a lot of content coming out of it, and we will be sitting down and uh, speaking to some of the presenters, um, including Kim Jordan, um, and I think Dick Cantwell as well, who's got a new book called uh, about IPA reinventing the IPA. Yeah. So we'll be talking to some of the big names and then also just some of the leading lights of the Australian craft beer industry, uh, talking about independent logos and uh, you know, amongst many, many other things. Yeah. Terrific bloke too, Dick Cantwell. I was lucky enough to um, to catch up and have a bit of quality time with him the last time he was at, which I think was Brisbane, Craft Brewers Conference back then, so two years ago in Brisbane? That's right. Or yes. be three years ago now. Yeah. No, I no, two was... years ago because it was Adelaide last year, Brisbane the year before. Yeah. But now we're this year, so it's... Yeah. Uh, anyway. So um, that was the third, well, we haven't had the third one yet, so it was two ago still yeah. until next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Two full, two full years ago. Um, and so good, great that, that, that he's back again. Um, really interesting, just with the whole, um, I, I guess, his background. You know, he, he comes from that, that space where – you know, there was a dynamic, um, exciting times in the in the US craft brewing um, scene. Then there was the buyouts and all that sort of thing. He's managed to sort of stay around and and, and just one of those guys, I guess. You know, like a just a wealth of of knowledge and information. So um, so everyone who's who's going along, there's there's great value in the uh, in the keynote speakers and well done to Catherine and the the team at the IBA for the um, for for getting the the quality of talent that they've managed to get. Really good. And uh, mate, I'll, on Dick Cantwell, I might even send him out about brewed IPAs. Yes. Yeah, well, there you go. He'd, he'd be a good one to speak to. Uh, we have some letters in our mailbag. Letter of the Week is sponsored by our good friends at Beer Cartel. When we choose to buy our beer online, our cast and crew choose to buy from Beer Cartel. From Daniel Ridd, who was our uh, Letter of the Week last week, week before, can't remember now. Uh, hi, Matt. Listen to the podcast on my drive to Ballarat this morning. You guys made my day. I was especially chuffed to hear Pete refer to my email as a cracker. 
As someone who doesn't have many other craft enthusiasts in my social circle, it's good to be able to share my thoughts and concerns with other like-minded people. Looking forward to receiving some special beers from Beer Cartel and telling my wife that I didn't have to pay for them. And he'll be sure to give us a shout-out on Instagram when he gets them. So thanks very much for that, Daniel. And from uh, Chris Harvey, who I should uh, disclose, works with Dr. Andre Sammartino, who was our guest associate professor last week's podcast, or the week before, because last week was Zoe. Uh, G'day, Pete and Matt. Enjoyed your uh, podcasts this evening with Dr. Sammer. Another good listen and enjoy the format. Particularly like the discussion uh, independent versus craft. Uh, I can see the benefits for both, but can appreciate how craft may convey the sense of inverted commas hobby to some people. Matt, perhaps I missed it, but I wondered whether you have made the obvious gag yet, suggesting that the IBA should complement their new logo with the tagline, the fifth ingredient is independence. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that would make a cool T-shirt. Cheers, Chris. It, it certainly would, and I well actually uh, maybe we could do the fifth ingredient is independence, or just malt water hops yeast independence. Uh, you know, just a, a, another version of our classic stone and wood riff T-shirt. Yeah, I, I reckon that, that that would be a good one. I'd wear that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, I, I, I'm just constantly amazed. You know, during Good Beer Week, when I was sorry, sorry to listeners that did come up and say good day um, at Gabs when I was frantically trying to uh, meet some deadlines, and uh, if, if I was a little bit um, abrupt, um, well, not not terse. Hopefully, I did it in a well-meaning, and you know, but yeah, um, uh, it, it's lovely to that, that we, we our traffic is going up and up and up through being regular and uh, being professional. Um, but yeah, and, and people are coming up and saying good day um, to us when they see us out. So uh, please, long may it continue. Well, terrific. On that note, we will see you all at BrewCon. Looking forward to seeing as many of you as we can in Sydney. Matt, thanks very much again for this week. Thank you, Prof. Thank you. I'm going to go take myself off to bed and uh, get better so I can make uh, make it through a big week of uh, in Sydney. It is big. It's bigger than the biggest thing you can think of. It'll be huge. Um, thanks very much, listeners, and uh, we'll see you all again next week. And we're out.